0: When we joined, it wasn't that, hey, we're going to create OmniBio five years from now. It was, let's support companies, let's be great at the science, let's develop great manufacturing processes, and then let's see where that goes. And ultimately, it ended up going to a great place.
1: Welcome to NGB Ideas, a podcast about the personal journey of leaders, innovators, and disruptors in the Canadian life sciences sector. I'm Jim Wilson, and our guest this week is Mitch Civilotti, CEO of Omnia Bio. Mitch grew up in London, Ontario, and his journey has taken him to Quebec City, Los Angeles, Asia, Kingston, Toronto, and finally to Hamilton, where he and his team are building what will be one of the next generation of cell and gene therapy manufacturing facilities in Canada. If you're not aware, Omnia Bio is a subsidiary of Toronto-based CCRM and it's a contract development and manufacturing organization, a CDMO, that is producing gene-modified cells and viral vectors that are compliant with current GMP standards. Omnia Bio is in the midst of building a 400,000 square foot facility, which will be the largest CDMO exclusively manufacturing for cell and gene therapies in Canada. Mitch and the team at Omnia Bio are creating jobs and supporting global therapeutics developers who are advancing pioneering medicine that has the potential to cure many forms of cancer, cardiovascular diseases, Parkinson's, and diabetes. Before we begin today's show, we would like to remind our listeners, this podcast is supported by the Hamilton Health Sciences Foundation and the TMX Group, and we are sponsored by OmniBio, Nova Nordisk, and Bay Area Health Trust. This episode was recorded in 2023. Mitch. Thanks so much for joining us on the NGB Ideas podcast. Let's jump in. You were born in London, Ontario, which is a great city. I went to Western. Where exactly did you grow up?
0: I grew up in the north end of London, which is actually not too far from the university. We had a little creek behind my house that actually runs right down until it hits the university. So when I was a little kid, after a big rainstorm, we jumped in a life raft and sailed it down to the university and then walked back. But That's probably, you know, I would say it's about five kilometers.
1: That's quite a trip for a kid. I read your father was an engineer and your mother was a nurse. I hope they're still with us? Yeah. Good. And if you don't mind me asking, what were they like?
0: My parents still are open-minded and encouraging people. So we didn't have limitations at my house specifically. Like we didn't have bedtime Growing up, I remember other people getting grounded and all sorts of things like that. We didn't do those sorts of things, but we were busy chasing after our dreams from a very young age in my family. It was a pretty nice environment growing up, but it was also one, I think, where there was a lot of personal responsibility in the house and expectation that we kind of owned our mistakes and progress and all those kinds of things. I don't know if that's how everyone's parented, but that's how it worked in our place, and I think it worked pretty well.
1: Sounds like it. And I understand you have two sisters. Where are you in the pecking order? I'm in the middle. So advantages or disadvantages there?
0: Oh, well, I think there was plenty of advantages. My parents were very careful, I think as most parents are, to not play favorites or anything like that in in the family. I never noticed anything. Like people talk about middle child syndrome and things like that, and they talk about all sorts of differences, I think, in families, but ours we didn't. I didn't notice anything like that, which may mean that I was on the benefiting end, because you don't tend to notice when you're the one benefiting.
1: (laughs) I read that you've come from a family of manufacturers. What do you mean by that?
0: I meant that because a lot of our family members had run manufacturing plants, whether that be in food and beverage or in construction materials industries. Also had family actually that were involved in leadership positions and healthcare organizations as well. So, a bit of a mixture across manufacturing and, and healthcare.
1: care. Wow. And you're continuing on that family tradition. That's pretty cool. You attended H.B. Beale Secondary School in central London, which I understand is one of the larger high schools in the city. I'm guessing your crates were a little bit higher than mine. Where did you hang out when you weren't in class? Were you in the gym? Were you in the cafeteria? Were you at the back of the school?
0: Yeah, I was in two places. I was either in the gym or I was in the library.
1: And were you on any teams in high school?
0: Yeah, I played hockey and I played volleyball. I did a lot of different ones though, right? Another thing about our family is that we try to do a lot of a lot of things. You know, I played a bit of soccer. I played a little bit of wrestling. You don't really play wrestling, but I wrestled. I wasn't comfortable playing basketball, but gave it a shot for a little while. Um, So it's just a lot of stuff tried it all but I focused on hockey hockey was my passion
1: how far did you take the hockey are you still playing
0: no I don't play anymore but I played up into kind of university intramural which is quite a bit of fun so where I went to school and ultimately for university I went in Quebec City for my master's degree and they have an amazing as you can imagine amazing intramural hockey program at the University of Laval so that's a lot of fun they have a lot of levels and a you know everyone's involved so it's kind of an important thing culturally
1: that's cool i understand you were interested in biology and business from a very young age do you know how or where those seeds were planted
0: i had a lot of fun in biology in high school we had a great program we had some great teachers i can remember a few of them one of them actually was a collector of butterflies his name was Mr. Nagy. I really wonder if you he heard his name, but that was quite some time ago, but he had a collection of butterflies, and this is how we studied mimicry. And so that was something that I never forgot. But just any of the teachers that I had, I had a great time, and so I continued with biology and ultimately felt that was a, an interesting place to go, as opposed to going down a business track initially. And then it was not until, I would say, through the end of university and after my master's that I was becoming more interested in the business side. So really a formation in biology that then was transferred later into the business side.
1: I look forward to talking about your university career because it's one of the more interesting ones that I've read about. Yours is a kind of a serendipitous journey. First, you went to the University of Western Ontario, now Western University in London, and you completed an undergrad bachelor of science degree. What years were you there?
0: 96 till 2000.
1: So you graduated from Western, you went to Laval, as you mentioned, in Quebec City, where you pursued a master's sciences degree in cellular and molecular biology. Why Laval and why that degree? It's a long story, but I
0: made a promise to my parents when I was in grade nine that I wasn't going to study French in high school. I didn't feel I could learn it in a classroom like that. I said, you know, I'm going to travel and immerse myself in French. So when I finished university... It was exciting for me to chase after it that way. When I finished my undergrad, I said, Hey, this is my opportunity. So I took a year and traveled in Europe, like a lot of people do. And then I connected with some professors in Montreal and in Quebec city. So I was considering some schools in Montreal as well in Quebec, but ultimately the choice for Quebec was related to the facilities there and the culture there were special and different and. The professors were outstanding there, and then on top of all of that, it was truly an immersive experience there. Versus Montreal, as most people know, they're very skilled in English, so you don't have to speak French in Montreal at all. So I felt if I go to Quebec City, I'll be forced. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for an absolute immersive experience at the same time as continuing to learn in the science.
1: I know you graduated, but did it affect your marks? How difficult was that transition?
0: Well, I'm sure it affected my marks. I certainly couldn't keep up to the same degree, but the language of science is English, so the science itself, I probably had somewhat of an advantage, and they allowed me to do certain things in English. I defended verbally my thesis in French. I was able to do the write-up in English. They didn't make it too hard on me.
1: Looking at your educational journey, it looks like there's an intentional path, but maybe not a specific destination in mind at that time, legs kind of normal for most kids that age. Did you ever consider going into medicine?
0: I did. I did all the preparation for medicine. We all have a competitive spirit, and it's what a lot of people want to do when they have an undergrad in biology. And so we're all kind of following a path of, hey, an opportunity ahead of us here, which would be great, would be medicine, right? So I kind of subscribed to that and I enjoyed the path. I think at, at the point where I completed my undergrad and was considering what to do next, whether that be medicine or continue to study science. That was really left to a little bit of chance. I mean, I got the opportunity to do the master's at level first, and so I went there. And then by the time I completed that, I had more interest in the business side. So I kind of went with the flow.
1: I want to clue in on that because you did make a conscious decision at some point to focus on the business side rather than call it the research side. Do you remember what sent you down that path?
0: At some point during my undergrad at Western, I just started learning more and reading books and I started picking up a lot of books. And so I read everything I could get my hands on when it came to business and investing. And then that just kind of grew on its own. So I wasn't formally trained on the business side, but after reading a hundred books, you know, you tend to start to pick up a whole bunch of stuff. And then I started wanting to continue to build upon that. So Throughout my undergrad and then my master's, I spent a lot of time learning about business. And then once it was an opportunity to get into the workforce, that didn't really drive the decision of which job I was going to take. Because I think a lot of people's first job, like mine, isn't one where you are in the driver's seat. You're looking for someone to provide you with an opportunity, an experience, and that just happened to be a great opportunity. I think that happens to a lot of people where that initial decision on their first role is not always a planned one. It's what is the opportunity that's presented to them. And then they build from there or transition from there or grow from there. I follow the same kind of story.
1: It's not so much the card you're dealt, it's how you plan.
0: Right. How you maneuver with the opportunities that come in front of you.
1: So you didn't formally study business administration, but you did a master's in finance. Could you tell us a bit about that degree?
0: That was now quite a bit of time further, right? So it wasn't back-to-back-to-back. I stopped my formal education after graduate school in science. Then I went and worked for at least a decade. In that time, I worked for Blue Chip, Paul Corporation, which is now a Danaher company, merging with Cytiva. Then I I went through this startup phase where I created my own company and did a lot of work there, then transitioned back into a NASDAQ-traded company. So a lot of things, a lot of experiences, and through that, I was either created my own role through my startups or was promoted at those companies into leadership roles. And so I gained a lot of experience in people management and a number of the elements of business from just working hands-on. So after I've done all of that, and there's a lot of things that happen in life between all those phases, I just reached a point in around 2016 where I thought it would be interesting. And this is more of a not necessarily directed at improving my job but it was more this is very interesting to me i want to learn more about the financial markets about monetary systems a number of those elements that are specific to finance and so i went to queens for more of an executive type MBA program that was one year to learn about those elements so that was something i always wanted to do and i'd read so many books on it so i wanted to put all those pieces together
1: You started your business career in, what, about 2002 when you went to, is it Pal Corporation?
0: Yeah, somewhere around 2002, 2003.
1: And you were Global Program Manager for Medical Devices for Regenerative Medicine. How did you end up there?
0: So what happened was Paul recruited me out of school, essentially. So I hadn't finished the master's degree at Laval yet, but I was finishing it and I had kind of an eye on the timeline. So I was looking at opportunities. And frankly, I wanted to stay in Quebec, right? I was interested in staying there and continuing to work in that region. One of the things that you realize, or at least I realized was every time I moved somewhere, I didn't really want to leave. I kind of got integrated. I liked it. I found reasons to love it. And then I wanted to stay. So after I'd moved to Quebec city, I wanted to stay there, but they didn't have enough opportunities, or at least at the time I was looking, there weren't opportunities for me. So Paul was interested and it was a bilingual position. They needed someone who could communicate with their French clients. And so I'd spent almost two and a half years at that point speaking French on a daily basis. So I felt that I could help there. And so they brought me in. And then that started in Mississauga. And then Paul was responsible for moving me from Mississauga to Vancouver, and then from Vancouver to Los Angeles. And the Los Angeles position was ultimately that global program manager for their cell therapy group. I started off in technical support. I moved into business development position. And then from there, they brought me more into marketing and, and strategy.
1: Hi, Jim here. We hope you're enjoying the show today. NGB Ideas is part of the Next Great Big Ideas Summit, which is an in-person speakers event in Hamilton on the first Monday in October. If you're a startup, an investor, an academic, or just someone who is interested in what is going on in Canada's life sciences sector, you will want to attend Next Great Big Ideas. For more information and to purchase tickets, please go to ngbisummit.com. So you were there for about five years in 2007. You were co-founder, CEO, and director of a startup by the name of Totopotent RX. Did I get that right? Yeah. Could you tell us from a 30,000-foot level what that company was about and where the idea came from? This was probably not
0: at the beginning of cell and gene therapy. Well, we know it wasn't the beginning. The beginning is quite long, but it was a point in time where things were starting to accelerate. So we're in the 2008 time period now. Groups are starting to spend more and more in R&D. Companies are specializing in the area. There was certain grants that California was looking at that ultimately became major grants and major organizations in the industry so there's a number of these things that just started to shift and move and like most people who do startups they always just think they can do it better right so you see what the organization's doing how they're focusing their investment dollars in growing certain product portfolios I thought along with a friend hey we have an idea we can do this so let's jump in with both feet and make our startup and so we jumped in Uh, which is a long story, but I'll stop there and see what your next question
1: is. (laughs) I was going to ask, who was involved, and was it bootstrapped from day one?
0: The story was that a colleague at Pulp Corporation, who I was good friends with, we just decided together, hey, this is an opportunity, and this is kind of our chance, right? We were still young, you know? We had a lot of flexibility in our lives, so we thought, hey, let's do this. And we also had accumulated a certain amount of wealth that we could then put in the business. So it wasn't like we had $1 to get started and we completely bootstrapped. We had our own dollars though. We didn't bring in external investment and so we put our life savings into this idea and ran with it.
1: And it worked out pretty well. Now you ended up moving to Asia with that startup and why did you make that move? Was it because of regulation or competition?
0: It was funding, so we decided, hey, we're going to go to India. We have a differentiation in that we can attract partnerships from international companies who are looking to access India. And so we had a number of targets for that, for certain products. We put together a plan on how we were going to tie together a number of products from a number of suppliers, and then we pitched to them this idea that we would incorporate in India and then bring their products to that market where they didn't have great penetration. That started in the research market, but it evolved into related medical devices because of competition.
1: I've been to India. It's a fabulous place. I think it's a fair comment to say that it's not for everyone. Where in India were you based?
0: We started in South India in a city called Chennai. And Chennai is the city that's it's kind of deep south, right? It's very close to where Sri Lanka would be in terms of just a rough location, right? It's not the farthest tip of India, but it's quite far south. So the temperatures are very high. It's a very tropical region in India. But after a few years, we also opened up an office in just outside of New Delhi. So we were in the north and the south.
1: What was that experience like, just culturally and from a business standpoint? There must have been some advantages and disadvantages to doing what you're doing, but I can't imagine how exciting that must have been.
0: It's a special environment and because of the stage that the culture and the country was at as well. They were going through a very rapid growth phase at the time, a lot of inflation in everything from salaries to real estate products. And at the same time, you had a lot of currency changes as well. And so there's a lot of dynamics happening with those elements. And then also we're bringing in new technologies to that country and they were very interested in them. They're very interested in adopting them and finding ways to employ cell therapy There was always open to discussions and thoughtful brainstorming about how their medical system could be adopting these. And we ultimately ended up with a great partnership with one of the largest hospital chains in India. They knew that things were early, but they were open to the idea that, hey, let's invest in this. Let's see where it takes us and we can continue to grow. And that's ultimately how the organization evolved from initially being device-focused and then highly regulated device focused, and then moved into patient access. So supporting bone marrow transplant programs, supporting clinical trials. And it was through that, that we then were able to start conducting clinical trials, develop a clinical research organization within our organization, and then we're able to generate data on patients that then ultimately became the value of the organization. So. Again, where you start is really not where you finish on these things. And it was through a lot of the foresight. I have to credit my partner, Ken Harris, on that, of understanding a little bit more about where we would end up with the clinical data, which then became valuable for U.S. acquisition. And that's what brought us from India back to the West Coast of the U.S. in California, where we merged with a company based just outside of Sacramento and ended up back on the NASDAQ.
1: A couple of guys get together, do this startup. It takes off at its height. How big was this company? I think that we had probably around
0: 60 staff. It's funny, you put that in the context of our IT companies today, and they're just massive companies, thousands of employees that have ramped up super fast. But in the medical space, I felt that we grew quite rapidly and it became a very effective organization for developing the science. And then from the U.S., we were continuing to build upon that in order to ready it and frame it, improve it, put the quality systems behind it so that it would be applicable to international regulations.
1: So that company was purchased in what late 2013 by Thermogenesis, which became Sesca Therapeutics. And in January 2014, you came back to the U.S. with Sesca as a senior vice president, general manager, and director of international subsidiaries, which... In my mind, sounds like you spent a whole lot of time on planes.
0: I did. A lot of travel, a lot of different countries. So I got a, very well acquainted with many parts of the Asia Pacific, some favorite places in Singapore, and spent a lot of time in South Korea, which is funny because of the connection to Omnia bio now with our South Korean investors, right? A lot of Asia, a lot of time in Europe, though, too. We were manufacturing devices at a... ISO 13485 plant that we built in Gurgaon, which is just outside of New Delhi. That was one of the first GMP facilities that I designed and constructed. And then we were exporting into various countries in Europe from there. So we had a number of things happening. We maintained the device business sort of as long as we could, but ultimately the service business and the therapeutic development business gained the most momentum and the most rapid value increase. And that's why that ultimately ended up being the focus.
1: And it sounds like you had a successful exit.
0: What happened there was that Thermogenesis had a specific medical device that was in a trial that we were running. And so we wanted to do a deal with Thermogenesis related to that connectivity. They had the device, they manufactured that device. We had transitioned that into a therapeutic at least a component of a therapeutic treatment, and then run the trials. They saw the value in the patient data. We saw the value in the device. And so there was a marriage there that made a lot of sense for the organization. So we combined those. And that's how I ended up at Seska. The merger between Thermogenesis and Todi and Rx became Seska.
1: And you were with Seska for almost exactly two years. And at that point, you'd been away from Canada for the better part of a decade and you decided to come home, what prompted that move to come back?
0: Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is just timing. So we transitioned into Seska. I was there for two years. We transitioned the technology, connected that company. It was just about the time that it made sense to step on to the next opportunity. The other part would be I had always planned to come back to Canada. When you're running around the globe a little bit for a decade, there's certain time periods when you have to make a decision. And after around 10 years, roughly, it would have been a little bit less, you know, I thought this is a good time to move back and see what next opportunities would be, but you have to remember that when you make that change, you're thinking that, oh, next year I could be in another country or I could be doing something entirely different. So it's not like I'm moving back necessarily forever. Everything is kind of a little bit more flexible in, in my mind, at least it was. So I came back. I didn't plan necessarily on staying forever, but now what is one year's turned into 2023. So it's been seven years now.
1: When you did come back, you had an opportunity to do something that many of us only dream about. You got to take a bit of a break. That's when you went to Queens, is it? Yeah. Did yeah. that degree? So was that prompted by what you've just gone through? I think well, I want to continue down this business path. Why down that path and why Queens?
0: I think that I came back a little bit without a plan. You have to remember when you're going to return from another country, there's all sorts of things that guide that decision in terms of timing, right? There's an opportunity coming to an end, but there's also immigration and tax reasons. I'm sure I came back in December. I wanted to come back before the end of calendar year. And I came back of my own initiative. I didn't have a group in Canada saying that they wanted me to join them. I just decided, hey, I'm going to do it and I'm going to take a little bit of time. The other thing is that I'd spent 8, 10 years doing this kind of startup activities, which everyone knows it takes a lot of hours. You know, it's a lot of stress, right? So I felt like, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to take a little bit of time and just reconnect with family, do some things that I want to do, and then we'll see what opportunities present themselves once I'm there.
1: Sounds like you were doing a bit of introspection, trying to figure out what next steps were. Yeah, and I
0: think you need that to understand what it is that you want to do. Sometimes take a little bit of time to say what's important to me.
1: I'd like to back up a few years for our listeners, because in June 2011, the CCRM, the Center for Commercialization of Regenerative Medicine, was founded in Toronto. So you're overseas, there's some stuff happening here, and I would appreciate talking about the CCRM and regenerative medicine for a moment let's talk about the regenerative medicine side of things first. And again, if you could, from a 30,000-foot perspective, I'd appreciate you explaining for our listeners, but mostly for me, what regenerative medicine is and why it's a game-changing technology. Regenerative medicine,
0: broadly speaking, is the use of cells and tissues or biologics to treat disease or injury. And so the thing that we're really reaching for there is for it to be curative. There's a lot of types of modalities now. So like, approaches to therapies. We have our traditional pharma, which is always advancing, always finding new ways to help, but that moved into biologics, which I think culminates around antibodies, their monoclonal antibody use. And so those have also been very helpful from a therapeutic standpoint, but then regenerative medicine steps in and asks, will cells themselves be valuable or can we create more complex tissues using those cells? But that actually opened up a whole new door here, which is can we modify those cells? How do we modify them? So now you moved into gene modification. Gene modification brought with it technologies and viral vectors, and now there's either using viral vectors to modify cells or using viral vectors to directly treat patients. That was some of the first treatments in COVID. COVID brought about a lot of investment into biologics, manufacturing, and research, which then brought us to another modality in an mRNA that really was around for quite some time, but really picked up speed and got the investment it needed during COVID. And so you move really rapidly into all these different approaches that collectively we're talking about from the perspective of Omnibio and perspective of CCRM, how do we use cells and tissues to treat disease? But the technologies that can then help modify those cells or act as co-treatments or even treatments on their own there's so many technologies in biology now that are advancing rapidly i mean if i was to just take a step into gene editing the number of technologies for gene editing and the advancement of gene editing has been very rapid a lot of new ideas over the last half a decade and these are things that we continue to research and try to integrate into manufacturing platforms through our partnership with CCRM and at OmniBio. So there's a lot happening there. There's going to be a lot of opportunity. And I think all of those modalities will have a place of specialty where they're quite valuable, whether that be for oncology treatments or more specific non-oncology based treatments. There's a lot of opportunity for all of those things to find a place. And so we're specializing in a focused area where we modify cells for specific applications. But again, very interesting time, a lot of new and interesting things coming out every year. I should say less than every year now. We're actually in one of the most exciting times, I think, in terms of translation of all the research that's come before us.
1: Hi, Jim here. We hope you're enjoying today's podcast and would like you to know NGB Ideas is part of the NGBI Summit, which is a fundraising event in support of McMaster Children's Hospital. MacKids provides critical pediatric care to families in need in Niagara, Haldeman, Norfolk, Brant, Waterloo, Wellington, and Gray Counties. If you'd like more information, please go to hamiltonhealth.ca slash mackids. That's M-A-C-K-I-D-S. Now, you know our why, and we appreciate your support. Let's get back to the show. I'd like to take another step back and talk briefly about CCRM and the difference between CCRM and OmniBio. CCRM is a not-for-profit organization that supports the development and commercialization of regenerative medicines and technologies with a focus on cell and gene therapy. But again, it's not-for-profit, and OmniBio is the for-profit arm, is it?
0: It's a spin-out. CCRM can create or assist in the creation of many different types of organizations or companies. And so one of the areas in CCRM, if you were to look at it in terms of what does it do or how does it execute on its mandate to create a cell and gene therapy ecosystem in Canada? It does that through technology development, which is primarily focused on manufacturing technology. It does that through company creation. And then it does that through investment it's providing funding to those companies within the ecosystem that it creates or others that are in the ecosystem. With respect to the company creation, CCRM tends to focus primarily on therapeutics companies, so creating companies that will have these treatments for currently incurable diseases. But in the case of OmniBio, a lot of technology know-how was created through supporting companies in the ecosystem and beyond to the point where there was a service organization that reached a size and maturity that was ready for additional funding and spitting out. And so much like CCRM has portfolio companies that are therapeutic companies, it also has a service company that is a portfolio company.
1: Thanks for that. So about the time you came to Toronto, CCRM was looking to launch a for-profit business arm that is Omnibio. So the timing couldn't have been better for you. I'm wondering... They were looking, I guess, for a chief operating officer. How did you find out about the opportunity?
0: So I'd come back. I'd been in Canada for a little while, probably half a year or so, but I was always touching base with what was going on at Mars in particular. Because Mars is recognized globally. I knew about Mars even from California. And I actually connected and got a phone call from one of the leaders of what's now known as TAP. His name was Rafi Hofstein. And so Rafi called me and we had a conversation. Actually, this is when I was still in California. We had a conversation. And so he was at Mars that just raised my recognition and understanding of what was happening at Mars with the startups and the facility. I probably visited a number of times, but once I was back in Canada, it was much more accessible and I'd drop in and talk to the folks who are now at TAP about what they were doing. I also had a number of interactions with Elsa Turnick, who was the CEO of Mars at the time, and she made some suggestions of who I should talk to. There was also another organ, the CEO at another therapeutic developer at Mars. And I don't recall his name, but I think his company was called Interface. And I chatted with him as well at the time and he made some recommendations. So I was talking to a number of people and networking. J&J was also there. I think I went to a number of events at J&J. I'd also reached out directly to CCRM and talked to them and understood there was potentially an opportunity. But then ultimately, I think CCRM needed some time to understand what it was they were doing and what they needed, and then came back to me and we figured out a way to work together.
1: How did that initial conversation go? It's like, well, what you're describing is my sweet spot. Who had to convince who?
0: You have to think back to the time and where CCRM was. I think they were a smaller organization than they are today. CCRM has over 200 staff today. It's a little bit different. They have a a lot of systems and maturity behind them. If we go back seven years, I don't think those same pieces were in place. And so they had multiple needs. They probably needed someone to help them build the business around providing these services in manufacturing and process development. But I think they were also thinking about how they were developing their investment business as well. Thinking about how they were going to invest in companies and how they were going to create companies. So all those things were happening at the same time. And they were looking for someone that had a number of areas of exposure. So I had the entrepreneurial side. I had the manufacturing side. I had a number of these things that if you looked at me as an individual and said, is Mitch the person who knows everything about startups? And say, no, but he's got a lot of exposure to that. same thing goes for manufacturing. The same thing went for the science. So I was more of a person that had a broad range of experiences in a number of these pieces. I also had international experiences and so it probably made sense to them and I'm speculating a little bit about what they were thinking, but I had those broad experiences that kind of fit into the buckets that CCRM was building. So that's probably why it made sense, at least in my mind. I was available. I was looking for an opportunity and for me CCRM represented A great opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different things. You can go work at a manufacturer. You can go work at a therapeutic company, but at CCRM, you had an opportunity to look at a lot of technologies that were coming through that business, you could look at a lot of relationships and a lot of companies that were building. And when I looked at it, my perspective was there's going to be an opportunity working at CCRM, whether that be within CCRM or whether that be in a company that CCRM invests in or a company that they create. And so that was an understanding that I had with Michael May, the CEO. He aligned with that and we said, okay, well, let's see what the future holds. For now, let's help CCRM grow.
1: I'm imagining, you. know, great, got my job. You go into your office, you close this door. you went, holy Andy, you must've been drinking from a fire hose.
0: You have to remember, I came from a decade of startup. When I joined CCRM, If you would interpret what's happening there as going through a growth phase and things being a little bit busy, a lot of activities, a lot of things happening, I was used to that. It's just more. Yeah, I I potentially provided a little bit of, like, for example, if someone came to me and said, Mish, it's really crazy here right now, I'd say, well, that's actually how it's supposed to be. So there's a little bit of, you know, this is how it's supposed to go. Over time, we will figure a number of these things out that everyone wants to desperately get process around, but it takes time to learn and develop those processes. So I was probably the right person for that reason too.
1: So Omnibio, what point was the concerted focus on Omnibio and and switching horses, if you will? Well,
0: Omnibio was something that happened only after we'd built the business. With CCRM's pursuit of supporting startups, they needed to be able to provide services to those startups. So come work with us. We'll help you with your process development. So you can imagine how initially you're doing small projects with groups to help them. They need the help to develop their manufacturing process, CCRM benefits from the know-how that they learn. And also this is what they're here to do. And that grows another customer after another customer. It starts to build on itself and you start developing real expertise, a lot of operating procedures that you can then provide. You become more commercially mature so that you can contract more rapidly with organizations, become much more professional about it. And so when we joined, it wasn't that, Hey, we're going to create OmniBio five years from now. It was let's support companies. Let's be great at the science. Let's develop great manufacturing processes and then. Let's see where that goes. And ultimately, it ended up going to a great place.
1: So what is OmniBio for our listeners? Could you explain that?
0: OmniBio is a CDMO focused on cell and gene therapies. As opposed to CDMO that would manufacture chemistries or manufacture antibodies for therapeutics, we focus on manufacturing gene-modified cells and viral vectors from preclinical, clinical phase up to commercial phase for therapeutics developers or innovators.
1: Is there any other facility in Canada like it at the moment?
0: There are earlier phase organizations that provide services and manufacturing. C3I would be a great example in, in Montreal. But in terms of the breadth of expertise, the amount of research and development that's happening at CCRM in partnership with Omnivile, and the expansion or the amount of infrastructure that we're bringing to bear... We're quite unique in the Canadian environment. That said, we provide our services globally. So we provide our services to Canadians, to U.S. companies, European companies, and Asian companies who are looking to access the North American market.
1: You mentioned previously you'd spent a lot of time in South Korea and that your partner is Korean. Could you touch on that for a bit?
0: So when we were looking to spin out OmniBio, we were talking to a number of private equity groups and other types of investors. What makes a lot of sense in some of these cases is to work with a partner who is strategically aligned and isn't focused entirely on rapid returns. They're looking at how do we build an organization that'll support their needs as well as build that organization. So a group like Metapost, who is looking to come to North America and bring their phase three commercial product for osteoarthritis, this is a cellular therapy, they had the opportunity to do a number of things. One of those would be to build their own company and manufacturing site. The other would be to partner for that. So when we talked to them, we found a great way to combine what their needs were, our experience in manufacturing, our interest in getting, not only in, in expanding our clinical manufacturing, but our phase three and commercial manufacturing, which is the product that they were bringing. The core benefit to each side was Metaphos was getting North American manufacturing to support the registration trial and commercialization of their cell therapy, and then Omnia Bio was getting funding, and we were also getting a phase three commercial client to join with us and fill part of our facility's capacity.
1: Omnia Bio is currently constructing a 100,000 square foot manufacturing facility at McMaster Innovation Park. There's a pretty strong partnership there as well, isn't there?
0: indeed that was initially i think something that you and i worked on right jim and that was we were looking for a location in the greater toronto area we visited a number of sites and when we came upon what they were doing at the master innovation park in terms of focusing that as really a biomanufacturing park it really resonated with us we thought firstly there's just so many components that go into the expansion of our business. And we're thinking about those from the perspective of future staff and employment, getting a talented workforce and and training them. We're thinking of that then from, is this region the right region for that? Can we draw in that talent of the right universities and colleges there? Is it the right culture in terms of region? And all those things made a lot of sense to us, but also with the park there's, you know, is the management of this park aligned with us? in terms of how they want to continually build out the infrastructure and certain businesses that will be like-minded and aligned with us. Because having vertically integrated services on the park, like provision of storage facilities, as a great example, makes a lot of sense for us as well. One of the last things that comes to mind at the moment would be the logistics. So that's proximity to the U.S. border, that's proximity to major highways and proximity to major airports. You have the Hamilton Airport. We have Pearson that's not too far away. We've got the Buffalo Border and the Porter from a land route point of view, not too far away. And that's really important to us because we need to be sure when we're shipping to any location across Canada or the U.S. that we can do that you know one stop or very rapidly because these are temperature sensitive products and that's going to be core to our value to clients and them accepting us as a supplier across the continent the other thing that i wanted to mention was the continued proximity to ccrm so we don't want to get also too far away from what we have and what we built together at ccrm when projects come to us and customers come and work with us from a manufacturing or pd standpoint they also want continuity So that's very important so that you don't lose the expertise. You can transfer that expertise from one site to another. And that's what happens as a group moves from preclinical and process development through phase one, through phase three commercial manufacturing. We want all that to be within an hour so that the group who's working downtown can then transfer that product with them involved to our Hamilton site. Hamilton being, I still think a, a very close to downtown. I personally live pretty close to Hamilton, so I make the drive into downtown routinely. And so this distance is, I think, ideal and we will continue to expand with future sites in the same region or at McMaster Innovation Park in order to maintain that connectivity.
1: I've started referring to MIP, McMaster Innovation Park, as kind of the Goldilocks zone of the Ontario Life Sciences Corridor because it's not too hard, not too soft. like It's got everything there at oftentimes a much lesser price, and all of the assets that you named, and and then some, are within very close proximity, and it's got McMaster University. I I don't mean to sound like cheerleader for Hamilton, but prior to the pandemic, the Ontario Life Sciences Corridor, in the minds of many people, went from Elizabeth Street to university along college, and that was it. And then once the pandemic forced us to reevaluate where we were going to work, all of a sudden people started looking further afield and areas like London, certainly Hamilton, Waterloo has got a very strong and vibrant med tech community, but Kingston and of course Ottawa and Windsor, as we heard in some previous podcast episodes. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on.
0: I appreciate you bringing up those other regions because it certainly is an end at Hamilton. We're interested and open to continuing to work with all those parties. I only mention that region specifically because I want to make sure that from our client standpoint, that we're viewed as a very united set of infrastructure. So that as they transition through various phases of manufacturing with us, that there's great continuity, but I totally agree with the technology developed in Montreal, Ottawa, London, Kingston, Waterloo, definitely a lot happening.
1: And the nice part about it is that it's not competitive. It's more cooperative. It's complementary. The MedTech hub in Waterloo doesn't compete with the MedTech hub in London. Well, it's certainly unique in Canada, but it's really cool to see from an outsider's view looking in. We'd like to take a moment to remind our listeners this podcast is part of Next Great Big Ideas, which is a fundraising event in support of McMaster Children's Hospital that is taking place in Hamilton on the first Monday in October. For details, please go to ngbisummit.com. I'd like to take a step back for a moment and talk about you again, if we may. You've had some ups and downs, as everyone does in their careers. What's been the biggest setback for you, and what did you learn from it? How did you overcome it?
0: To give one example, which was kind of a bigger one, was when we sold the startup and merged to create Seska, there's a lot that happens there in terms of who's in charge after the merger. A lot of people think that you're going to be happy to sell off the thing that you've built because you get value for it. So you're thinking, oh, I built this for a long time and maybe everyone can immediately identify with this. It's not that special of a thought. But that is you spend a lot of time building something and then finally you can get value for it. Let's just say that you bought a house and you did a bunch of improvements to it and then you sold it. After you sell it, there is a bit of remorse there. You know, how much I put into this as the years kind of go by, you think about, well, what could I have done with that if I'd stuck it out in a different way or if I'd done that a different way? I think that the choice made a perfect sense at the time and we forget about all those little reasons that made it make sense and we sort of focus on big stuff. But also, it was how we managed that, how the management teams came together. Um, and so there was a lot of learning about those things that perhaps I didn't understand or underestimated about board structure, management structure, and the relationship between organizations when they merge. Because every organization has a different culture, and in some cases you'll see large organizations, they make an acquisition, but they leave that acquisition to operate as an independent company, but they just own it, versus the one where they do a merger and they completely merge those organizations and make them into one where they have to bring the cultures together. Those are two different models. The latter is what we did, and we merged basically a medical device company with an entrepreneurial therapeutic company. Medical devices companies tend to be a bit more conservative in culture, so we combined a more conservative company with probably a more entrepreneurial company, which had a lot of
1: excitement. <laughs> That's a- Good way to put it. (laughs) At some point, a bit of seller's remorse, which I would assume everybody goes through going from being their own boss to having to answer to other people at some point. Let's turn that question around. What's been one of your biggest wins and what did you learn from that?
0: You know, I could talk about the same exact scenario and call it like a biggest win too. Let's say you're going to do a startup right? And you spin it out and you start off in kind of your living room or your basement. There's a lot of fear involved. There's a lot of points in time there where you're thinking, this is actually going to end and I'm going to end up with nothing a few months from now. Because you're watching financials, every customer becomes extremely important or investor becomes extremely important. And so you're just doing everything you can to advance the organization, plan for the future but also worry about today and where everyone's paycheck who works for you is going to get so there's all these elements when that culminates in a success where an external third party sees a lot of value in what you're doing and wants to merge with you or acquire your technology or whatever it might be in my situation it was acquire the company and technology that also was just a major validation of the eighty hundred hour weeks that we were doing for six, seven years. That was a great success as well. And I would say ever since I did that startup, I would say so many lessons associated with the hardships in there. And the fact that that was validated ultimately may have much more impact on the positive side than some of the challenges associated with how to operate that once you do the merger or are acquired. So the benefits definitely outweigh the challenges.
1: One of the things I like about doing this podcast is watch people's face light up when they they talk about something that they're passionate about. And you're obviously passionate about what you do. What do you like most about your job? What gets you out of bed?
0: There's a lot of things that are really just super interesting about manufacturing. The optimization, the improvements, finding ways to do things better and faster. But it's also the technology and then it's the impact in healthcare and on the patients. There's kind of buckets of it as well where we talk about and we think about and we formulate strategy around all the ways that we can create a CMO that does high quality work on time and at the best efficiency possible and what the future holds for that in terms of how AI can help there in machine learning, how robotics automation can help. And some of these pieces were starting to integrate, so that's the big piece. But the other side is the technology is moving so quickly. There's something exciting and new that we hear about constantly. That's a gift that just keeps coming back week after week with, wow, look at this latest thing that we've figured out or now understand about human biology that we didn't before. There's a real connection to reality there because all of us know someone who has an insurable disease or has had a bout with cancer. Everyone's family has a story. I could be doing a lot of things right now, but I think when I tie it back to that, there's a lot of meaning. You know, I've had a close friend pass away from colon cancer, for example. So those things have a lot of meaning, and it just makes it more fulfilling, frankly, for me.
1: What's the most challenging part of your job is it managing people is it creating value or staying ahead of the competition is it something that you can just define
0: i think all of those things have challenges in terms of worry i'd spread it pretty equally we think a lot about where's the market heading how do you invest in a smart way in the technology of the future so that you can continue to provide differentiation and value to clients like we think about that constantly What are customers doing? What are they planning? We're going to conferences trying to understand those things and integrate those into our research and development plans. The great news there is that we have collaborations with groups like Cytiva, now merging with Paul Corporation. We have a tight collaboration with CCRM as our owner. We have that collaboration as well as with our investors, Metapost. So we're getting a lot of opportunities to learn, a lot of opportunities to share ideas amongst 80 to 100 plus scientists that are surrounding us and and providing, you know, new ideas and ways to research them. This is an exciting time on that side. On the people side, there's, you know, we're growing a new organization. That's a very intensive process of finding the right talent, investing in them, putting in the programs to properly incentivize. And um, also just create passion in their minds about what we're doing. And so that's also a very challenging time. And it's something that I lived through quite a bit in my own startup, having hired hundreds, maybe thousands of people over the years. We've gotten a lot of experience there. And that ties back to, you know, our investment in recruitment and training systems. Something that we view as a differentiator for our organization now is the investments we put into an internal recruitment team, but also a team that focuses on technical training, so building out training sites, having hands-on infrastructure, and also specialized training programs specific to our manufacturing platforms. This is something that we've done in the past, but I think the degree to which we're investing in that now and making that really a special differentiator for us is something we haven't brought to this level in the
1: past. I've got so many more questions I'd love to ask, but I want to be respectful of your time. For the younger listeners, (laughs) we're getting the age, at least I am, where everybody's a younger listener, but those who are just starting out their careers or in university looking at a career in STEM, is there any advice that you've received over the years that you would pass along to those people?
0: I think there's a couple of things. One is kind of my own. I don't think anyone told it to me, but it was that you really can't see past the horizon. And I don't know if there's an expression for this one, but I usually go with the expression. The point is that you can only see what you can see. And so you have to take a bit of a plunge and reach your horizon, at which point you'll see where to go from there. You just can't figure it all out in a business plan day one. It doesn't mean that it's not valuable to create a business plan. It is highly valuable. You have to know what you're going to do for the next, whether it be six months, year, two years, but there'll be a point where you reach the horizon or the finish point of, Hey, I've done kind of what I planned. Now I can see that, Hey, I missed this, or this is the piece that we didn't appreciate and we need to pivot. And it was a benefit of working with business partners like Ken Harris that allowed us to say, Hey, we need to pivot quickly in my startup and make that happen. And pivoting is about education. Ultimately reading a lot, attending conferences, talking to people, but spending the time to read and understand certain elements, whether that be the business or technology, allows you to transition your business quickly so that when you do hit that speed bump, that it isn't a terminal speed bump. The other part that is an expression that was told to me was really about achievement. This is what the expression was you can't save your way to greatness. There's a lot of information I think that drives behavior about being kind of financially mindful save your money, invest wisely, think hard about the investments that you're making from a business standpoint as well. However, there is a point where you need to invest aggressively into the things that make sense. And so there was a a business partner that I had, or an advisor who said, you know, Mitch, we'd love to be able to do this on a shoestring, but we're going to have to select one thing here and invest heavily and make it happen. I always remember that and I continue to see it in a number of the folks in my organization or in other organizations where they're trying to help the company by saving money in every area really cutting costs all those things are important but ultimately you need to understand your market well study your competition or study your technology and you're going to have to make a bet and invest heavily but wisely in making sure that that path is successful. Now, can't predict the future. You may have to pivot. All those things are real, but I think that was important advice as well.
1: And that's good advice to pass along. Thank you. And it's a great segue talking about horizons. What's the next great big idea on your horizon?
0: For our business or myself, I mean, I combine the two because OmniBio, is my passion. And I spend all my time thinking about this business. And so I think that we're very interested in a couple things. One is how businesses operate in the future with the arrival. And I think maturation of data, that's not foreign to anyone. They understand there's data coming down, there's AI coming down the pipe at us. And how are we going to deploy that to run and operate organizations better and more efficiently? And then there's the side of our business that's exposed to these technologies, the modalities that are coming about like mRNA and viral vector and new technologies there in terms of homing to specific tissue targets and how that integrates with what we're doing on the cell side and developing new cell types or modified cell types through our IPS technology. A lot of these things how they're coming together, the new technologies that are coming. This is all very interesting, how this is going to impact patients and how healthcare systems will be able to adopt these new technologies because they're not cheap in many cases. They're expensive therapies. They provide meaningful results in patients. So we need to find a way for all these things to come together to be able to broadly provide these new therapies to patients. So those pieces, they may not be way beyond the horizon, Jim, but they're on my horizon and the things that we're thinking about on a day-to-day basis.
1: Mitch, I really appreciate you making the time to do this. I know that you are busier than the average bear, and I also want to thank you for graciously supporting the Next Great Big Idea Summit this October in Hamilton. I appreciate that support. Thanks for this conversation. I've really enjoyed getting to know you a bit better and sharing your thoughts on where things are going
0: thanks jim i appreciate it no problem giving you the time we are busy but hey anytime you guys have more questions happy support we'll see you in october
1: that was mitch civilotti ceo of Omniobio in hamilton ontario if you'd like to find out more about mitch and the work he and his team are doing please go to omniabio.com this week's episode was researched and edited by tisha Prasad. And if you'd like to follow us, we're on social at LabOccupier. You can reach me via email at, jwilson at Leonard, that's com. On a final note, if you'd like to find out more information about what is going on in Canada's life sciences community, please go to ngbisummit.com. Thanks again for listening to our podcast.